Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. to Bingeworthy, a podcast dedicated to telling you, the audience, which of these many dozens of streaming shows that are being thrown at you each week and month are worth your time and attention. Hosted by myself, Mike D'Angelo, and editor-in-chief of The Playlist, Rodrigo Perez. Rodrigo is absent today, but I get to talk about one of my favorite shows on TV and streaming right now, which is Apple TV Plus's sci-fi drama, For All Mankind. The show follows an alternate history space race between the United States and the Soviet Union that uh, was basically kicked into high gear by the Soviets beating the U.S. to the moon landing in this reality. So the show jumps forward decades or more each season with new escalations in the race, and this season saw the U.S. and the Soviets racing to get to Mars in the mid-90s. The show stars Joel Kinnaman and Chantel Van Satten and Jody Balfour and Ren Schmidt and more, and it's just this super interesting and realistic look into what might have happened if the U.S. and USSR pushed each other to just keep reaching technologically and how far forward that may have pushed us into the space race, and on top of that, it's just an excellent human drama uh, with multiple intertwining storylines that are going on at once, kind of like Game of Thrones, if you're you know looking for something to reference. Like I said, it's one of my favorite shows that just keeps getting better and better each season. Joining me to discuss For All Mankind are showrunners Matt Wolpert and Ben Nadivi, who co-created the series with sci-fi royalty Ronald D. Moore of Star Trek and Battlestar Galactica and Outlander fame. I will issue a rather large spoiler warning right here as the interview is largely us unpacking the season three finale. So if you haven't seen the finale or the show, go watch it now. It's on Apple TV Plus, all three seasons. It just got picked up for season four, so there's more hard sci-fi greatness to come. Definitely worth checking out. But before we get to my chat with Ben and Matt, I've got to tell you that Bingeworthy is a part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes the Playlist Podcast, the Discourse, both of which I'm a part of, also Be Real, Deep Focus, The Fourth Wall, and more. Can be heard on apple podcasts anchor fm soundcloud stitcher spotify wherever you find your favorite podcasts follow like subscribe drop us a rating we love all of it okay let's blast off into my spoiler filled conversation about for all mankind with the wonderful matt wolpert and ben nadivi i guess i'll just start off right away just jump right into it and say thank you for taking the time i am a huge fan of the show absolutely adored season three so congratulations on the season four pickup. Congratulations on a great season three all around. Great stuff. Thanks so much. It's a, it's great to be here. We're a big yeah. fan of the podcast. Oh, perfect. So before we, you know, get into like the, the whole season three of it all. And I got a lot of, a lot of those questions, uh, cause I just kind of want to dive into the finale and let people kind of unpack it with me, but let's just kind of start way with, you know, the beginning of the journey for you guys, as much as I love the show, I know very little of the origins when it comes to, you know, how it all started. I know Ron Moore, Ronald D. Moore, the, the great Ronald D. Moore had 
you know, kind of the germ of the idea when he was doing a lunch with like a NASA astronaut, or, or at least that's the the kind of uh, story that's told. How did you two ultimately kind of end up with this show and, and running it and creating it right along with him? Well, you know, at the time, uh, Ron, Matt and I were actually working on a Western together. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we're all like big uh, history buffs and we were obsessed with doing a Western. I remember everyone, all our agents were like, please don't do a Western. Nobody... <laughs> Nobody wants that, which is funny. Uh, all these years later now. It's hot now. Show, yeah, all the top rated <laughs> shows. So it goes to show, don't listen to your agents or to anyone for that matter. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, while we were working on that, Ron had told us about, you know, this lunch with Garrett, but also about, you know, Apple was looking to do something uh, involving kind of looking back at the early space race days, you know, the 70s, the Apollo program. And Matt and I, at the time, we had been kind of, early on developing an idea about Von Braun and, you know, the early days at JPL um, that we were kind of obsessed with. And so it really quickly, we clicked onto like, okay, let's put this Western aside. <laughs> and we started talking about this idea and it was really exciting. I, don't, I think the real, the real, you know, spark moment was not only being able to tell history differently and be able to tell the tale of the space race that no one had ever seen before, but also to bring life to things that I think we were all really excited about that never came to light in real history, you know, like Mercury 13, like these designs for a space station on, on the moon. You know, there were all these ideas at NASA that never came to light. And I think the opportunity in this show to suddenly bring them to life was, was really one of those, you know, those initial moments of inspiration that really, that really pushed us. Yeah, it's got this interesting divergence as things like get further and further apart, things change more and more, or there are bigger forks in like the pathways or whatever it will, the alternate realities. It's really interesting when it comes to that stuff. I have to imagine that that stuff is kind of fun to dig into and be like digging into the history and yet, you know, kind of carving your own path, as it were. Yeah, it's it's fascinating and maybe a little too fascinating for us <laughs> because we're just such history fanatics that it's like we can spend so long digging into like, well, what if what if Nixon didn't win in 72 and then Reagan and Schweiker in 76 because they almost lost, you know, they almost won at the convention. But what if they did win at that convention? And it's like, you know, we can get lost in the weeds sometimes on the in the writer's room on, uh, you know, we used to have this. Uh, when we were still meeting in person, uh, we had this history timeline around the writer's room um, of all the sort of alt history events that we, every time a new one came up, somebody would put it up on the, on the timeline and it stretched, it started to stretch. We even had to expand it like out into the hallway next to the writer's room because it was so, so long. <laughs> so that's fun. And, it, you know, it, but it's also fun, you know, the other moment I think that was really exciting when we were first breaking the, the initial premise of the idea it was like, okay, well, if we, if we want to show, like Ben was saying, all of these advancements that we never got, um, we're going to have to jump in time. And it was like, well, okay, what if we jump a decade every season? And that kind of was like the, the kind of kaboom moment of like, wait a minute, this could be a different type of storytelling where you're not only showing advancements in history and in technology, but also like uh, showing characters whole lifetimes as opposed to just a certain moment in time we talked a lot about um this uh documentary series called the seven up series which checks in on on these it starts with these kids at seven years old and every seven years it it uh it checks in on them again 
And what was great about that series and what we wanted to capture in our show was like, you meet somebody after a season and you're like, wait a minute, how did they wind up in that place? We, we, <laughs> what happened in between? And teasing that out and letting the audience kind of be a little uh, on their heels at the beginning was interesting for us and sort of, you know, going along on that journey. It was, it was, it felt like a really interesting, unique show. That was definitely one of the questions I had with these time jumps because they're so brilliant in the way that you are just kind of letting a lot of people fill in with their imaginations. What's all happened here? And some you're giving them information for, sometimes you're not. It's just a really great device to kind of recalibrate every season. And and of course, you do it again this season into 2003, which, I mean, that's the year I graduated high school. So I'm like, bingo. For listeners, don't do the math. But uh, yeah, it's it's uh, really great stuff. And I can't wait to see what you guys do with, with that time period. Speaking of the finale, obviously, we got to cover a lot of ground here. We'll put this up after it's over. So we're not going to like spoil it and, and just ruin everybody's fun. Great. That'd be um, great. But it covers a lot of ground. It's It starts with that, you know, Lee Jung-gil, the, the North Korean astronaut, what it doesn't necessarily tell you, like the time jumps, it doesn't necessarily show you how they got there. That shows you them arriving. Were you implying that this was one of their failed launches and that was kind of like a cover up, or is there more to it that you're like, maybe we'll say at a different time, maybe we won't? Yeah, it, it, you know, I think in our heads, it made sense to us that uh, because of the sort of desire of North Korea to be kind of a, a part of the the forefront world community like they they tried with their nuclear missile program now they're putting all their efforts into their space program but it made sense to us that they wouldn't want to announce that they'd done this until mm-hmm. it was successful <laughs> and because uh, and because he you know in the crash their communications are damaged North Korea has no idea that he's alive. And so they're, they're just not bringing it up. They're not going to bring up the failure. Uh, and so this poor guy is sort of trapped there and trying to let them know that he had been successful. And that, I think, was such an uh, interesting storytelling device for us. Just that, like, introducing that guy at the end of episode nine, introducing Lee in sort of a ominous, frightening way to Daniel and Kuznetsov, and then reversing that at the beginning of episode 10 and getting to be with him and humanize him and really understand the struggles he's going through that lead up to the moment when he comes out at them with the gun. Um, it's one of my favorite moments of the season is that sort of little short film it did at the beginning. It's great. And just to add to that, you know, the, the technology required to send someone somewhere is much less than the one required to bring them back. So it being a one-way, it being a one-way ticket definitely helped uh, the ground the science. And you know, at, the nature of the show is we try as much as possible to ground our moves in real science and real tech. You know, but yes, as the show continues, we get more and more away from um, what the technology currently is to what the technology can be. So, and I think that's kind of an interesting, especially going into season four and then hopefully beyond you know, what's important to Matt and I is how can we keep the show feeling hard sci-fi? Like how can we Mm -hmm. keep what I think makes it so unique is that we really try hard to hold true to, to these ideas. And that, you know, I, we could probably do a whole series about the North Korean (laughs) and him, how he got there, how he landed, you know, he could do a whole thing about it, but, you know, we try to carve out those moments and it was really important that we could tell his story in a way. And uh, yeah, and I'm really excited for how that turned out. 
and and for him to be you know there moving forward possibly who knows but that's another thing like the science and technology of it all that i'm assuming that's another rabbit hole in the in the in the writer's room where you guys are just like well the space race is going to keep us going check technologically so we gotta kind of like where is this branching out as far as that goes i'm guessing just as much as history that's an arguing point or at least something that you guys got to keep track of yeah no and it, it is it is sort of a it gets trickier and trickier because you know we have you know we have garrett reisman who reads our scripts sits with us in the room sometimes we pitch him we have the akudas who've worked on star trek and god knows so many things so we we do make sure we're kind of going from that place of like okay this feels like it's possible but yeah, we're, you know, in the end, I have to say one, it's a character drama though, right? Like you can't, you can get lost in that stuff. And I think in the end of the day, it doesn't matter how cool the action sequence is or that moment with Lee, uh, if you don't know the person. So I think part of the attempt in showing his story or, is the same attempt of why, we, you know, that Gordo Tracy run at the end of season two, I think was so much more impactful because you had followed their path for two seasons. Ellen coming out at the end of episode nine, you had been on her journey for three seasons, 30 decades. I mean, th- sorry, three decades. Feels like 30 <laughs> decades to me. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, for us, the big thing in the room and the writing of this story is always from a place of following these characters through their lifetimes. And I think that's what, what makes those moments of peril and space action much more effective and impactful. Oh, yeah. Character always drives the story in this one. And that's why I love it so much. But the, you, you mentioned Ellen and the fallout of, of coming out, uh, which gets, you know, the reaction that you might assume, you know, in this 10th episode, the Republican parties, they say they're going to fall apart. I think it's her VP that says that. But, you know, if that happened, it sounds eerily familiar to, you know, things that are t- being talked about today. So I'm curious if when you're doing these alt history moments like this, where she's coming out and the aftermath uh, is that easy or less easy to write because of the fact that, you know, things are so volatile around the subject of sexuality and politics nowadays? I mean, I don't know that it's uh, it's easier or harder. It definitely makes it more resonant to mm-hmm. us as writers that that this is kind of swirling around in the world. And, you know, it was interesting seeing people's reaction to both to Ellen at the beginning of this season being sort of in this marriage still and they have a kid and she's running for, and it's like, man, she's made such compromises and people were really frustrated with that. And then with the don't ask, don't tell thing, I think there was a real sense of anger of like, are you really, <laughs> you know, and of course Ben and I knew where we were headed mm-hmm. and the sort of the long arc of that. Um, but I think there was a frustration of people like, there's an expectation in our alternate history sometimes that it's we're showing the better version of things. Ah, yes. But it's all and I think generally that is our there is an optimistic heart at the center of the show, but it's very important to Ben and I that we're also very realistic about the realities of of the world and it felt very resonant especially in light of of a lot of the things going on now that that we can make so much progress on certain things and yet still be so that there is such a lack of progress on other hands that really I think is perfectly encapsulated by seeing, you know, human beings on Mars in the nineties. And yet we still can't get out of our way to be discriminatory against people that aren't like us. You know, that, that actually feels very much like humanity. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then there's, you know, the Stevens boys of it all where they're both clearly <laughs> changed forever by the scars and loss of their parents' death. 
which one is unwittingly participated in uh, that terrorist plot that happens in the the final episode, and the other one is you know killed astronauts in a drug fueled angry belligerence, basically. <laughs> and do you think there's a way back for these guys? Like for the Stevens boys after this season, do you think there's a way to redemption, uh, or are they just completely steered away and scarred at this point? Well, uh, we didn't want to announce this yet, but I think this is the perfect time to announce a spinoff show we're doing called the Stevens Boys. <laughs> They team up together. It's a Western. They team oh, up together yes. and go oh, on a rampage. A, a space rampage. Western. <laughs> a rampage across the moon. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, what's, I think the reaction, look, we understood going into this season what we were doing with Danny and Jimmy. And we treated it, we took it actually very seriously. A lot of what goes on in telling the story of people's lifetimes is also the generation story of the children of people you've seen. And I think the more we talked about it uh, in the room, the more it was clear to us, there's no way these boys grew up in a normal environment and that the death of their parents who were heroes, growing up in, that, in the shadow of that without parents for a, a big portion of their life would really impact uh, them in a real serious way. And I think we were really fascinated by exploring the different ways in which they're impacted. In the case of Danny, he decided to take up the mantle. I'm going to fill in that shadow. I'm going to become the next great astronaut. Whereas Jimmy early on was like, that's not for me. And turned into a more anger about what happened to his parents. Both felt very natural. And, you know, I think, I know it's hard for people sometimes who loved Gordon and Tracy the way we did to look at their kids <laughs> and be like, oh my God, what happened? But to give another harsh truth, Gordo and Tracy were not perfect people. And I think it, it's funny. I remember in season one, so many people hated Gordo and like his womanizing ways and people hated Tracy when she was drinking. These were not perfect people. And I think we go out of our way on the show to not, this is not a story about great, perfect people who are, you know, who always make the right move and say the right thing at the right time. We, we're much more interested in complex characters. And I think Danny and Jimmy are the best example of that. While dark in certain ways, even, you know, I like that in the end, you know, Danny and Jimmy do get their comeuppance in a certain way. There is a sort, it's not like one, you know, by the end, especially with Danny, you see like he gets a punishment that maybe doesn't fit the crime, but there is a punishment there that felt yeah. right. With the, and, and the pain, not only in him, but with Danielle and Ed, the two people who kind of feel responsible. Um, and then with Jimmy as well, like seeing, I think you already see him start to turn a little bit in episode eight um, in that scene with Karen where he's starting to question things. And by 10, you you know, he's not all the way in. He doesn't do the thing they're asking him to do, but it's too late. You know, he's already caught up in it and, and in a way indirectly responsible. So we're still exploring uh, what to do with them season, season four. I think for us, you know, this was more focused on, you know, with season three, seeing that arc from the beginning to the end is, is one of the exciting things of the show. You know, because we jump in time, it's important to us that we're telling a full story uh, within each season. Yeah. And then we we also have in that episode Kelly's big blast off, as I'm calling it, which would have been a great episode title. Let's face it, that would have been yeah, right up there. Yeah, we missed the boat on that one. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, just the Mars stuff in general, like a, a problem comes up and they have to problem solve their way out of it. That I just love that stuff, and I'm a huge fan of the book The Martian, um, where there's a lot of that going on as well. And then there are people that are like comparing like little moments in the Martian to this. How aware were you of that stuff and some of the crossover, even in the launch stuff? Cause that kind of 
crosses over a bit too within the the book there was this kind of like a nod to to the martian or was this something where you're like uh nope never heard of it no it definitely was on our radar i don't think we were actively um right. sort of uh trying to draw parallels there if anything we were we were sort of inspired by the old movie the flight of the phoenix mm. about those people that crash in the desert and they have to sort of rebuild their plane to take off and it was like that was that was something we we really used as inspiration more i think you know we tried to make it feel a little different uh in that you know i mean look let's face it matt damon was not pregnant and strapped to the top <laughs> of a ship like you they can't prove they, that. they did the same version <laughs> Uh, but, but you know, Kelly Baldwin, come on, yeah, come on. <laughs> but honestly, I think that's one of the things that that is was most excited, uh, exciting uh, to us about the idea of these people being on Mars. They're so far away. Yeah, they have to, even though they were competing with each other to get there to survive, they have to come together. And that kind of that arc encapsulates the show in a way. And that yes, this space race is about competing to beat your rival but it is also about for all mankind the the title of the show in that this this race kind of helps everyone together um and that's the tension i think of the show that works so well over over the seasons yeah and i was just sitting there going okay ed's gonna die here we go they're gonna kill ed and Obviously, there are some big deaths in the episode. Uh, I kind of assumed Ed would be one of them, but he somehow just makes his way out of it every time, which is amazing. Uh, Were these deaths and the survivals within this episode, were these like, this is what, who's going to live, this is who's going to die, or did any of that change, like in uh, running up to the finale here? We always have a, like a goal, like gold. We know like, okay, we're thinking we're going to do this, but we also leave ourselves enough wiggle room because you never know how the season plays out. In this case, we didn't know this is how it's going to end. We didn't know exactly how, but we knew this that we wanted the impact of this bombing to really be felt in a, in a serious way. And we were intrigued by the idea of like that the deaths that happen are not up there on Mars at the end, but on Earth. I think that mm-hmm. was a flip um, that we, we thought was kind of interesting. And, you, you know, I think, you know, it's interesting hearing you say that about Ed. And I think that's kind of what's nice with the show is that a lot of times you watch TV and you'll be like, well, that guy's going to live. He's the, you know, it's Joe Kinnaman or that. I don't think anyone watching our show can feel comfortable that anyone will be alive or dead, which does make you feel what it is to be in such a dangerous situation, you know, because the truth is about, you know, being in space, being on Mars, that you're like, in many times you're an inch, if not a few centimeters from your death, from the vacuum of space that will kill you. <laughs> and I think that's something we constantly <laughs> remind the audience of. So, you know, to us, any death uh, of a character is really hard, not only because, you know, as writers, you fall in love with the, with the characters, uh, but as producers, we also fall in love with these actors. And it's, it's the tricky thing with the show, you know, by jumping ahead a decade, we kind of find ourselves having to, like, evolve the cast, too, that, you know, the cast of characters that started the show is going to be so different than what it was, you know, season four to season one. And I think we'll continue to change it. It's what makes the show really unique. Yeah. Um, but also really, really challenging. Yeah. It, it Honestly, it's like, you know, I think, you know, as much fun as it was to, to the uniqueness of it, it's like thinking back again to that moment of the decade jumps. It's like, man, couldn't we have just come up with an idea where it was like people go to the bar and hang out and 
<laughs> I dream for that. Yeah, you gotta you gotta make sure those new characters coming in are really as uh, unique and interesting as yes. someone like Ed, uh, who I mean, at this point, so it's 2003. He's going to be like really old or wheelchair bound by this point. Is next season going to be kind of like a transition where he's going to have you're going to have to eventually kill this guy if you keep going. So it's like, do you have an end game as far as that stuff goes or in general when when, uh, you know, you're looking out in future seasons? I mean, we do yeah. look, we have an end game, but we don't. I think like it's sort of a loose end game, mm. loose roadmap. But I think what's interesting, you know, and we don't want to give away too much with season four because I think the fun is not knowing. And by the way, we are still writing it right now. Um, but I think it's interesting about Mars with the one third gravity. Um, there are advantages to being older in space, mm. you know, and I think e even the historically, if you look at astronauts who've gone up, age is not necessarily a negative. In fact, there is a positive element to, to being older in space, because even, you know, one of the biggest uh, villains of space travel is radiation mm. um, and exposure to radiation. And the older you are, the less a factor that is. Um, so it's an interesting thing where, or the less an impact that would have on your life lifetime compared to if you went up really when you're really young. So in a, in a weird way, you know, we don't see age as something that necessarily stops you from participating in space travel. Where aging is tricky for us is I think with our actors, right? Yeah. Because we have to do prosthetics, we have to, and we 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 play with voice, body movement, everything. But there's a limit to how much you can do that, and we know we recognize that. Um, but we also look at it as a fun challenge of like, well, how far can we take it? And I think, you know, I think there are certain actors that have gone longer than others with that, but it really comes down to, we don't want that to help to determine our storytelling. You know, to us, it's like the character, when we feel like the character's journey has ended, that's when it will end. Um, mm -hmm. We try to keep everything else kind of out of our heads in terms of how to, why it needs to end. Um, we don't want it to be like, oh, we can't age them anymore. Um, so that's sort of, we try to hold true to that. Um, as much as possible that's part of the technology you clone ed and then suddenly you have a new ed to work with you know <laughs> right hologram <laughs> can you confirm or deny my theory that this is a prequel to battlestar galactica <laughs> no comment we're not commenting on it okay <laughs> uh i i've kept you guys way longer than i said it would any teases that you can give us for for season four or that uh, people should expect if you need anyone to provide needle drops that year by the way i know all of them <laughs> Good to know. I really, uh, we could use all the help we can get on the needle drop front because I have to say <laughs> the 2000s is sort of a desert of good music. Yes, <laughs> you're not wrong. It's, yeah, it, it's, uh, that's going to be tricky, but we, I think we can do it. No, I, I think the, the thing that I think is really interesting about season four, um, which we tease at the end of uh, season three is this other new world we're opening up, which is looking behind the Iron Curtain. Mm -hmm. uh, and following Margot, and I think that expansion of our world is going to be really interesting to play around with because it's always been an element of the show but Russians have really been coming into the the American sphere you know it's really been in the in the setting of America and so opening the show up to that other dimension I think is really going to be compelling. Yes I can't wait for season four I want to let our listeners know that if they haven't already and if you're listening to this conversation, you haven't heard the story like you're lost as hell. But still go stream season three of For All Mankind on Apple TV Plus. It's one of the best shows on TV. Matt, Ben, thank you again. I can't can't wait for for what comes next. Thanks, Mike. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Likewise.